Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live Saturday mornings from 9 till 10. Find us online at federalnewsnetwork.com or hear us on the radio in the Washington, D.C. area on the following frequencies. 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, and 1039 FM HD 2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Ross. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now, here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Ross. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Ross. Coming up on today's show, drone fireworks displays have been replacing traditional shows around the country. We'll tell you how and why. Webcams have been popping up in hotel rooms and in Airbnbs. We'll tell you how you can tell if there's one where you are staying. Dr. Schertz's Guide to Communicating in the Digital Age, Profiles in IT, is Alfred J. Gross, the father of wireless communications. And of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. Glad to see he made it back oh, from Easter egg hunting. Oh, finally, he's, got, yes. he's, back, mm-hmm. he's back in the saddle again. We got an email from Doug in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Dear Doc and Jim, I found in the street... A run-over Samsung S9 cell phone. <laughs> it was he- bad, badly damaged. The case backing was fractured on all sides. The screen won't light up. It's dead for all, for, as far as all purposes uh, could go. How do I go about finding the owner? Um, I haven't brought the phone inside yet. I put it in a plastic bag so it wouldn't get well, wet. Well, it might be rabid, so I wouldn't touch yeah. it. Yeah, so he, uh, he said, but you know— what do you suggest? You suggest I, I, I dispose of it? Or is there any way to locate the owner? If if I can't locate the owner, I'd like to take it apart and just see what's inside of it. Maybe I could rebuild <laughs> something with it. It's kind of a fun project. But if the phone's locked, it may not be worth rebuilding. I'd look look forward to your answer and your great radio show. Thanks, Doug in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Well, Doug, every phone has two identifiers in it. You've got the IMEI number. That stands for International Mobile Equipment Identity. I knew that. IMEI. And and that's a 15-digit number. Did you know that, Jim? I did not. <laughs> it's a 15-digit <laughs> number. 14 digits plus a digit check at the end. <laughs> I didn't know yeah, any you know. of that, actually. I was just <laughs> playing along. And so, and that has things like the origin of the phone, the model of the phone, the serial number of the phone are all embedded in the IMEI. So, uh, the the telecom company actually has a recording of all the IMEIs, and um, and so if you could identify the IMEI, you you could really and you knew the carrier, you you could ident- you could locate the uh, the owner. Now, if it's a GSM phone, it has a SIM card in it. Now, the SIM card has embedded within it the phone number, so you could actually pull the SIM card out and you could stick it into another phone and you could get the phone number from it, and then you if you could identify the carrier. You could then contact the carrier and find out the person who had that phone number, mm. and then you you could locate them locate them that way. And chances are the SIM card is still good, and you could do that without turning on the phone. So those would be the two options that you have. Now, um, chances are the person who owned the phone has already gotten a new phone, and they've transferred the number to the new phone, and they've disabled the old number. 
and the and the the phone is really of no value to them because all their data would have been backed up on the on the cloud. So when they got a new phone, they would just download all their data from the cloud, and um, you know. And so this phone, if you if you if you locate them, I mean, there's nothing valuable on that as far as Even, they're concerned. So the SIM card is of no use at this point. Because they they would have another SIM card, and they've already transferred the, the number to another IMEI device. So you couldn't get into the the, the phone. No, it's, no. So so if you would if you would try to go on with that SIM card. That SIM card's been disabled. Oh, good. And so, That's good to know. and so, boom. And so the the and so the other phone has been enabled. So you could not log on to the net, network with the SIM card. It, it, you may be able to look at the SIM card and tell what the carrier is. You could contact the carrier. Just you go to their website. You send, and you could say, "This is the phone number. I found the phone." And they know who owned the phone, and they could probably get it back to the person. Now, I don't think it'll be any value to the person. Mm-hmm. So. So you know you could you could just take it apart and learn from it uh, you know if you'd want you could do, it's really your choice I don't think there's any value to the person you could take it apart chances are you're not going to get much out of it because I just can't imagine that the, that you're going to get the thing back on but it is interesting to see how these phones are put together when you sort of sure. go into it yeah so now we got an email from Helen in Rockville dear Doc and Jim I'd like to open my garage door remotely for when packages are delivered. I'd also, sometimes at night, I, I forget to close the garage door, so I would like it to close automatically, say, at 9 o'clock in the event I forget to close it. What are my options to enable these two features in my garage door opener? Surely it's an electronic device. You ought to be able to do that for me. Love the show, Helen in Rockville. Well, Helen, your garage door opener is not going to do either one of those things. Huh. It's just a dumb garage door opener, <laughs> and you push a button and you open and close it. No, no, no remote operation at all. Now, if you want to remotely operate your garage door, there's something that's really good called Nex Home Garage Door Opener, N-E-X-X, Home Garage Door Opener. The Nex Garage, it's a companion device to an existing, uh, you know, garage door opener, and it allows one or more users to open and close and monitor the garage door remotely. And basically, it's a it's a little box, and it uh, it it's it sits up right beside the garage door. It's connected to your Wi-Fi. That's how you that's how you talk to it, and and it basically shorts the the contacts without that that the button on this on this on the sidewall are connected to, and it will either open or close the garage door remotely. It's it's it really works well. I have one of those. The next garage door it works fantastic, and um, and then you can remotely you can open the garage door, close the garage door. It has a little magnetic sensor, so you you know when the garage door is closed or open uh, just by just by the position of that magnetic sensor. So that that would work very well for you. You have to have Wi-Fi, and uh, it takes about an hour to install it. It's pretty pretty easy to install. And then you would download the Next Home Garage app on either your Android device or your, or your iPhone device, and you could completely control it. Now, that Next Garage Door Opener, it doesn't have any things that will automatically close your garage door you know, at, say, 9 o'clock at night. It doesn't have that built into the system. But there's another application that does that, IFTTT. <laughs> now, that stands, oh, IF... Oh, we've talked about this, haven't yeah. we? IFTTT stands for if this, then that. And so... If it's 9 o'clock. Yeah, if it's 9 o'clock, then cl- close the garage door. See, and so what you do is there are a lot of applications that have – and IFTT is basically a free platform that connects to a lot of applications. You can do a lot of things with it. You can say, like, if I get 
10 emails in my Gmail account, open the garage door. <laughs> if it's 11 o'clock, do you know where your children are? Yeah. That's so you, old, you can, you can, and many, many applications will have APIs that link to IFTTT. And fortunately, Next Home Garage integrates with IFTTT. So you simply, and, they, and they've got little applets that have been designed actually by Next Garage. And one of them is uh, open the garage door at a particular time. So you can, you can basically enable that applet on IFTTT. You can either enable the applet on your iPhone or your Android because IFTTT has, a has applications that are on mobile devices. Or you can go to the IFTTT website on, with your browser on just your computer. You can enable that app applet, and then what you have to do is you've got to link it to the to the garage doors. I mean, you got you got to put in the uh, put in the password for your garage home account so to provide the linkage, and then once you've linked the two together, you've got it done. And you're and you could say, okay, close my garage door at nine o'clock at night, and then if you if you forget to close it, it just closes it. If it if it's already closed. You know, it doesn't do anything. It, it sends a close signal, but it's already close to so your garage door. It doesn't do anything. So the combination of Next Home Garage and IFTTT will do everything you want, Helen. And I hope you have fun setting that up. We got an email from Len in Fairfax. I keep receiving notifications on my computer saying that Microsoft is going to stop supporting Windows 7 in January. I really like Windows 7, and I hate the thought of upgrading to Windows 10. Is this really true, or is it a scam? Lynn in Fairfax. Well, Lynn, unfortunately, Microsoft has announced they're going to stop releasing security updates or providing technical support for Windows 7 to the general public on January 14, 2020. So it is true. But Windows 10 is not bad, Lynn. I mean, I, I mean, Windows 8 was terrible. I, I would agree that yeah. you wouldn't want to upgrade. You know, I never upgraded to Windows 8. I'm not a fan of 10, honestly. But I, it's, I, I, I don't mind it. 10 is okay, and it's probably one of the best operating systems that Microsoft has had in a long time. I did like 7, but I had to give it up. So now I've got mm -hmm. 10. So you actually have five options here, Lynn. One, you could do nothing and just take your chances. Your Windows 7 will still work after January 14th, but you won't receive any security updates after that time, and you'll be vulnerable to a lot of stuff on the web. So it's cheap, it's easy, but it's not recommended. Now, the second thing you could do, you could upgrade your computer's Windows 7 installation to a Windows 10 operating system. Now, if your PC was is fairly recent, that'll work, because Windows 10 is a resource hog. Uh, and so... You know, you could actually the, – the Windows – if you're doing an upgrade, the Windows 10 upgrade cost is about the third – about one-third of the price of, say, a Windows 10 license. And so so you could you, you could put uh, – you could just simply pay a little money and upgrade to 10. If you've got a recent computer, that's a good idea. Now, if you've got an old computer, an old computer, um, it's probably not worth upgrading from Windows 7 to Windows 10. Because you could probably add a couple of hundred dollars to the the um, the upgrade, the license upgrade cost, and get a brand new laptop. Now, if 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 you want to get a brand new low end laptop, you could actually probably do the upgrade. That's I would think that's going to be your best option if you've got an old computer. Just go. It's the cheap. Don't 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 upgrade the old computer to ten. It'll be slow sluggish. 
But if you if you got the Windows 10 license integrated with a new computer, those prices are really low. And if and if you're just using it to surf the web, you don't need a high end PC. So mm-hmm. you can probably get a PC at a pretty good price and only spend a couple hundred dollars more than the the the, the upgrade license fee would be if you stayed with, stayed with your own computer. Now, if you are kind of a techie, you could just replace Windows 7 with Linux. And uh, that would work just fine. If you're, and if you're just surfing the, your PC, just surfing the Internet, visiting websites, accessing social media, you could replace it with Windows, with Linux for free. And the nice thing is your computer will probably run faster with Linux because it doesn't use much resources. It's not, it is not a resource hog. And in addition to that, with Linux, you don't you don't have to install antivirus software, so you're you've got you've got more embedded security with Linux. So, if you're a techie, that may be a good option. Or what you could do, if you just want to learn something about technology, you could get your new PC with Windows 10, keep your old PC, and upgrade it to Linux, and learn Linux. It might be really good opportunity for you to you know to hone your tech skills. And and the last option is what a lot of people have done. I mean, most people now just surf the web on their yeah, on their iPhone. Exactly. I mean, that, and so just just stop using the computer and just start and go to your iPhone or your iPad and surf the web, and then you don't have to do do anything. Those are your five options, and it really depends on how you use your computer and whether you're a techie and how much money you want to spend. Right. Windows but, XP is no longer that. That was discontinued. That a few was years ago, right? yeah. It's not supported at all. Windows XP, no way. We got an email from Michael in Boston. Dear Tech Talk, when I woke up this morning and turned to my laptop to check my email, the laptop could not find my Wi-Fi network. I had it scanned for available networks and found just one. I thought it might be my neighbor's Wi-Fi signal that was coming to the house, but I noticed it was a really strong signal. And then I got worried. So I unplugged my router. And that really strong signal disappeared. It was kind of a weird name that was on it. I didn't recognize it. So apparently, the name of my Wi-Fi network has been changed. It appears like somebody has hijacked my router. Help! What can I do? Could could he have been hacked? Is that what you think? Yeah, yeah. So he was hacked. Somebody went in there, took over his router, and changed the Wi-Fi name and password to something something that he didn't put down. Uh, he says, uh, I've got a Belkin 4 N450 0DB. Uh, what, what can I do? Well, uh, Michael, it, you've clearly been hacked. Somebody's taken over your router. And then they've renamed your Wi-Fi network and they've changed the password. So, yes, you have been hacked. And it could be that you that your router that you allowed, that you configured it for remote access, and then somebody, and you didn't change the password, you left it as a default password, they logged in. It could be your neighbor could have logged into it, just, you know, picked up your Wi-Fi signal. If you didn't change the default pass- login password, maybe they logged into your router and took it over. I don't know what the security flaw was that allowed this to happen, but, yes, it has been taken over. The good news is, since you physically control your router, you can get it back. You just have to reset it. So what you do is you go and you power up your router, and on the back panel there's a little reset button. And you might have to, it might take a, a ballpoint pen or something to push it in. And you push in that reset button, hold it for 10 seconds, and then you release it, and the lights on the router will, after 10 seconds, will momentarily flash. Then the router light will begin to blink. And then finally, when the router becomes solid again, the reset process is complete. Now, next, you can go to the router setup utility, and you're going to set it up just like a new router. You want to connect your router to your computer with an Ethernet cable because, you know, out of the box, it's not connected to Wi-Fi. So you have to configure it with the Ethernet. So you connect your 
router to the Ethernet cable. Then you've got to go to the to the web interface for your browser or to, for your router to to, to uh, configure it. Now, for this particular router, the the, the address is one nine two point one six eight point two point one. Normally, it's point one point one, but they for some reason they decide to have one nine two point one six eight point two point one, and so. That would be the, uh, the the IP address. So you put that in your browser, and it will take you to the login facility on the router. And you can just click login because the, the default password is blank. And I'm thinking, you may have left it blank. Ah. <laughs> That's why somebody got into it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to recommend you change that password. So then you log in, and then, and then, you're, then you're in. And then what you want to do, you go to the Wi-Fi. And you want to you want to na- rename your Wi-Fi whatever you want you know secure Wi-Fi whatever you want to name it rename your Wi-Fi to what you have make certain to enable WPA2 security and that will mean that you got a certain length of a password and then choose a strong password for your Wi-Fi thing and then go back and this is what you probably forgot to do then go back and change the password on the on the login screen of your router so somebody can't get bit back in and so once you've done that boom. You can just uh, reset, then you, you basically reboot the router, and you are good to go. Then you just go onto your laptop, and you'll find the new Wi-Fi thing, and you can log into it, and you've got the, the address, and you will have everything done. Now, I have to say that Belkin N450 dB router is really an old router. You might consider replacing it. It'll give you better speed, for one thing, and better security. But best of luck. And I hope you get your router back right away. I have a question. Yes. So th- this, th- by extension, so if, you know, we were talking la- last time we were together about uh, people letting their neighbors uh, have access to their Wi-Fi. Yeah. So, for instance, Pete, you have people over to your house uh-huh. on a regular basis, yep. right? And they mm-hmm. know your Wi-Fi. And mm-hmm. so they come in and, they, and they're, they're on your Wi-Fi. If they surf and find nefarious websites and things of that nature on their device – Am I the one that gets in trouble? You are, because it's all t- pegged to the IP address of your router. Gotcha. So, and, and so it doesn't matter who has gone to these bad websites, you get blamed. Great. <laughs> you get blamed. And it's hard to prove that somebody else did it. That is one of the downsides. So you couldn't, you, you couldn't then go from the IP address to a uh, specific device that had been on that IP address. You couldn't do that. That data is not stored in the router. Interesting. Yeah. So, so – uh, I, I suppose you could reconfigure the log to sort of prove it, but mm-hmm. the log as they have it doesn't doesn't have that data as to who as to who did what. Because you think about it, that means they would have to store every single web request for every single device on the on on the network, and that would just take a lot of memory. So they just so, don't do that. So if something was going on, and the feds come in and, and grab your Wi-Fi device, your Wi-Fi router, it, it will it will. You, the log will identify <clears throat> devices that are logged on. They can read the log off of your router? Yeah, well, if you give them the password. I see. So give them the password. They could read the log off the router, and they could see which devices were logged on at a particular time. But if there were two devices logged on at the same time, they couldn't tell, they who, couldn't tell, who, was they couldn't tell who was doing what. Gotcha. But if there's only one device on and it's not yours, then you could infer that it had to be that one device. Gotcha. But you're sort of That's interesting. hoping that it would I had work out okay. No idea that you could drill down to that that yeah. level. Yeah. So you, if you go, just log onto your router thing and look at the logs, and you can just see all the stuff that's logged. A lot of stuff is logged, but not 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 every website you go to. 
Okay, we got an email from Patricia in Florida. I'm an avid LinkedIn user, and I frequently view profiles of people who have left the company. Because <laughs> I like to see what they're up to. <laughs> but I don't want them to know that I'm looking at their profile. <laughs> Is there any way that I can stop LinkedIn from showing that I viewed their profile? Patricia in Florida. Well, LinkedIn actually does tell people when you view, view their profile. It shows them your name. Sometimes people can even order email or an alert when somebody's viewed their profile. So, you know, so, you know, if you just let things go with the default configuration, there is zero privacy on LinkedIn. Now, you can actually fix that. So you can you can go to your you can go to the web you go, go to the computer, your LinkedIn website, and then you click on your profile icon, which is in the upper right-hand corner, usually your picture. You click on your picture there. And then a menu will come up, select settings and privacy. And then under that, there's a something called check how others see your profile and network information and click on that. And then there's something called viewing options, profile viewing options, and click on that. And you have two options there. You've, you can go in as an anonymous LinkedIn member. And then whenever you go in, so you can be anonymous and it just says anonymous LinkedIn member. You could choose anonymous at your company, so it could be anonymous at, say, Federal News Radio, and that, but they would know somebody at that company was looking, but they wouldn't know who. Mm-hmm. Or you could just leave no masking, and it shows your name and your company. And so I think in your case, since you don't want to know you're tracking them, you would just want to pure, do the pure anonymous. Now, if you pick the anonymous feature, LinkedIn will hide the names of people who view your profile after you enable this anonymous feature. But so what you could do when you when you're gonna go snooping around, you just turn on anonymous, and when you're done snooping, turn it off. There you but go. But you've got complete control over that. We got an email from Dennis in Kansas. Dear Tech Talk, I've got a large house in a basement that is very far from the Wi-Fi access point. I have nearly no Wi-Fi signal. Uh, I have no Wi-Fi signal in my rec room. How can I extend my Wi-Fi to the basement in a cost-effective way? Dennis in Kansas. Well, there are a couple of ways to uh, to do that. You could, I mean, you could, you know, if you want to really, in the old days, you'd run an Ethernet wire all the way to, down to the cable and you'd plug another access pointed Ethernet wire and you'd plug the Ethernet into your router upstairs. That's a lot of work. So I don't recommend that. They do have Wi-Fi extenders where you can put a Wi-Fi extender on the edge of the Wi-Fi field of your of your upstairs router and it will set up a communication channel, and then it will then create its, a, a new Wi-Fi access point that people can connect to. Now, the problem with doing it that way is if you're going to someplace like your basement where you've got a very, very low signal, it means even your extender in the basement is going to have a fairly low signal, and that means you're going to have a low, low data rate. So that may not work in your instance. So there is a better way for you. You can, you can actually... Uh, you can actually Connect. Use a use a, a method which is called power line networking, and what you do is there's an inexpensive power line networking Wi-Fi extender kit that provides fast wired and wireless connections to your home without having to run any wires, and it really works well. Um, so what you do is, and typically they, it contains two devices. It contains a power line Ethernet adapter and a wireless network extender. So what you do, you take the power line Ethernet adapter and plug it into the wall beside your router, okay? And then you connect an Ethernet cable from that Ethernet adapter 
and you connect that you connect that uh, uh, Ethernet adapter with an Ethernet cable right directly to your router. Now make certain to plug that Ethernet adapter directly into a wall plug. Don't plug it into some sort of surge protector. It's got to go directly in the wall. Then you take your network wireless extender, which, and you go to the other part of the house. When you plug that into the wall, it will establish a direct connection through the power line to the uh, to your router. And it basically use the power line in your home as essentially an Ethernet cable. And then once you're connected to the router, it then has a Wi-Fi access point. This is a great way to do that. You, like, for instance, if you've got a, like a remote garage and you're on the same power circuit as the house, you could set up a Wi-Fi network in your garage using this way. So you're basically using the power line to, to communicate signals um, you know, at bandwidth, and then you have the access point at the other end. Now... There's a device that's pretty good. It's $108 on Amazon, so I like it. It's the Netgear Powerline 100 megabit per second Wi-Fi 1 gigahertz port essentials edition kit. And so it's $108, and it's got two boxes, as I said. One box plugs in right beside the router. You attach that box by the Ethernet cable to the router. The other box goes into your remote location, like the basement. You plug that into the power. It establishes a connection to the to the to the um, to the power line adapter near your router and then it then sets up then you set up a, a new Wi-Fi access point down there and you are good to go we got an email from Angie in Missouri dear doc and Jim I've been reading about this new time of flight camera time of flight camera that's coming out on the 2019 smartphones all the manufacturers are joining the cause. What's so special about this camera? Is it worth waiting for, Angie in Missouri? Well, Angie, the time-of-flight cameras have been around for a while, but they've been kind of high-end cameras. Now, the ones that are coming out on the cell phones use infrared light to determine depth information. So before you send the signal, it sends out a pulse of infrared light, and that pulse is reflected back from objects in the field. And by looking at the time of flight or the delay between when that comes back, they're able to, they're able to uh, decide what the range is. And so they use that time of flight information combined with the image to do little calculations, and they can calculate depth of field. So it's very nice. So in photography... The idea of the foreground and background is called depth of field is, you know, you create a sense of realism. You've seen like, you know, photographs that have got a narrow depth of field, which means that the subject is in focus, but say the trees in the background are out of focus. So you can actually, with this new time of flight camera, you can create that effect. So you can take a portrait and you can have the background actually, you can have the background actually out of focus. It's a very, very nice feature. And so there. They're coming. There are a few that are out now. These are more expensive. We've got the LG ThinQ, the Honor View 220, Huawei P30 Pro, and the Oppo RX17 Pro. These all have time-of-flight cameras. But in 2019 and 2020, you're going to see time-of-flight cameras coming out on, with, on Samsung and Apple devices. And you're looking like more and more professional photographic quality when you get that. So it, it could be worth waiting for if you're into 
those kind of portraits. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2. Follow us on the web. Uh, learn about all the programs at Stratford University by going to stratford.edu. And you can watch us do the program every Saturday morning at 9 by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED. Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, today we're going to feature Alfred J. Gross. Alfred J. Gross. Gross. Alfred J. Gross is the founding father of wireless communications. He invented an early version of the walkie-talkie, the Citizens Band radio, hmm. the telephone pager, and the cordless telephone. Wow. Gross was born in Toronto, Canada, February 22, 1918. He's the son of a Romanian immigrant, and he grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. So I guess just right across the border there. Mm -hmm. In 1927, he became fascinated with everything wireless. When at age nine, his parents took him on a cruise on Lake Erie, and he was wandering around through the ship, and he stumbled into the uh, the radio room, and the ship's radio operator let him listen in on the communication, and he was absolutely fascinated. And so he started just tinkering with, uh, you know, radios. At age 12, he scrounged parts from a junkyard, and he cobbled together a ham radio system in his basement. Wow. I mean, the whole basement was just filled with electronics. At 16, he earned his amateur operator's license, and, he, and his original call sign, which he kept his whole life, was W8PAL. And he kept that his whole life. But he was really interested in high frequency, in the high frequency spectrum, that what frequencies above 100 megahertz. See, all the um, ham radios are operating at a much lower frequency than that. He says, I wonder what's going on at that high frequency area. He was just fascinated with, with high frequencies. And so he started working on high frequency devices. In 1938, 
He developed a portable high-frequency radio with two-way communications. And it was, uh, <clears throat> nobody had ever had operated a radio in, in this high-frequency band. And uh, and he wanted just to, uh, you know, what it was, you know, being a ham radio operator, he sits in his basement and talks to people, but he'd like to kind of walk around and talk to his friends. So he wanted to talk while he was walking. So he said, well, why don't I make a walkie-talkie? And so he... And so he gave a few of these out to his friends, and um, and the thing worked. He, they could communicate with each other over, up, up to about thirty miles, <laughs> at, you know, at the at this at this frequency. Now this device caught the attention of the U.S. Office of Strategic Research, no, of Strategic Systems, OSS. That was the precursor to the CIA. And they recruited him to, to develop a two-way air-to-ground radio system for covert, covert use by the troops behind enemy lines. See, what they wanted to do, they wanted to send troops behind enemy lines. They wanted them to report the location of targets to be bombed, and then the planes would come up and bomb the targets. And they didn't want their communications to be intercepted. And so that, that's and so they said, we've got to do something like that. And so... He created this technology for the for the military. They actually made him a captain when they 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 brought him into the military, and it and it was actually extremely successful program. The Joint Chiefs of Staff praised Mr. Gross' project as having ranked among the Allies' most successful wireless intelligent gathering operations. See, the beauty of it is the enemy could not had no radios operating above 100 megahertz. So. They were the, the the enemy had no idea that they were communicating in that band, and so they didn't even have to encrypt anything. They just talked freely, and nothing could be intercepted. But it was all based on the fact that it was a top secret uh, program. So after the war, uh, Gross uh, demonstrated his walkie-talkie to the Federal Communications Commission (FCC), and they said, "Wow, that's pretty interesting." And they, after they saw his walkie-talkie in operation, they allocated the first frequencies for the citizen band radio service. And that was in 1946. That was right after the war. And so they created the CB radio bands, which were basically unlicensed bands. That, because before that, all the bands were licensed and you know, they had very narrow bands, and so you, you just couldn't have citizens just talking over the radio. So they, they, they basically set up the CB radio bands for this kind of walkie-talkie application. And um, he embraced this citizen band radio all the way, so he became a big CB radio operator. And his, his, his uh, CB handle was Wiebelfetzer. Now, Wiebelfetzer, this is V-E-B-L-E-F-E-T-Z-E-R, Wiebelfetzer. Now, I said, now, what is a Wiebelfetzer? So I looked it up, and Wiebelfetzer is a word used to facetiously, facetiously as a placeholder name for any kind of obscure or complicated object or mechanism, especially in auto repair. So like you, you said, well, it looks like the Wiebelfetzer is broken. <laughs> I think I'm going to have to replace your Wiebelfetzer. So this would be like an auto repair man. Uh-huh. He doesn't know. He doesn't have a clue what's wrong. Well, it looks like your Wiebelfetzer has been clogged, and I'm going to have to clean that Wiebelfetzer. <laughs> so, so, uh, so I, I think he was a tinkering guy. So he probably had a lot of Wiebelfetzers around in his basement. <laughs> <laughs> so he formed 
the Gross Electronics Company. Now, I'm thinking there's a, probably a better name for that. Probably, you know, yes. I'm thinking this is, he, you know, yeah, buy your electronics from the Gross Electronics Company. I have a gross radio. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> now, he did it to produce two-way communication systems that utilize these frequencies that have been allocated by the FCC. He sold more than 1,000 units, mostly to farmers in the U.S. Coast Guard. Because, you know, farmers liked them because they, they, they were sitting out in their tractor. They wanted to communicate with each other. So it made a lot of sense for farmers and the, co- the Coast Guard. But it just, I mean, just the general public just didn't get it. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, they, they, they weren't that excited about two-way radios. Then he adapted his two-way radio for one-way cordless remote telephonic signaling. And that's another way of saying an electronic pager. Ah. He invented the pager. And he said. He just didn't know that. And so the thing, so this is a, uh, it's a, see, that's a one-way telephonic communication channel, the pager. And so he thought this pager would be really a great device for doctors, you know, to be, you know, be paged. You know, they'd be out, there'd be an emergency if they'd come into the hospital. The doctors hated it. He couldn't sell them to the doctors because the doctor says this will ruin their golf game. Oh, my gosh. Think about it. Yeah. The doctors, they're out on the course. They don't want to have somebody, somebody call them. Somebody always wants them. Yeah. This was back when you could when you could actually go into the golf course and you could disconnect. So they said they did. So he, he, he thought this would be a big solar to, to doctors, and it didn't it didn't really go. Eventually it was. But... Eventually it was, yeah. Then... In fact, the same technology is used for garage door openers. I mean, essentially, you're paging your yeah. garage door and saying, why don't you open up for me? So, you know, it's, it's the same wireless technology mm-hmm. used for garage door openers. Then he went, you know, and, and, he, and he had the, then he had invented the, you know, the, you know, the whole wireless telephone idea. I mean, a walkie-talkie is basically a wireless telephone. Yep. So he went to Bell Labs, and he says, you know, this, this wireless telephone, this thing, this thing is going to be big. And Bell said, "Well, wait. You know, we got all this wire stretched around the country. We don't. We don't want to undermine our wired infrastructure. We got the long lines. Um, this wireless thing's not going to go anywhere. So they had no interest in it. He couldn't sell. He couldn't sell the wireless <clears throat> phone to the uh, to, to Bell Labs. And he had patents for all of these things. Um, but his patents expired <laughs> before." The mobile telephone became popular. Interesting. They expired before pagers were widely accepted. Mm. He used to joke that if he were born 20 years later, he would be as rich as Bill Gates. He probably because, would be. Because his patents would have been in effect. Now, he served as principal engineer of, of, of leading electronic companies, uh, such as Sparing Corporation, Westinghouse, Orbital mm. Sciences. And he worked until his death at 82, at, and he died in 2000. He received the IEEE... Um, Edwin Howard Armstrong Achievement Award, the medal uh, and medal, which was 1999. He got the Marconi Memorial Gold Medal of Achievement in 1997 and the Presidential Commentation in Telecommunications from Ronald Reagan in 1981. So there you go. Everything you want to know about Alfred J. Gross. He would have been 100 years old today. The founding, or this year. The founding father of wireless communications. I looked up the uh, the walkie-talkie because I wanted to see what it looked like because obviously yeah. this had to be a home-built right. thing. It looked like it had. The pictures aren't great. There was a radio pack and battery that you carried on your back that was like the size of a backpack that you'd walk around with today. Mm-hmm. 
So, it, but but the one that he made initially for the commercials was like a like a like a box mm-hmm. that was about six inches on a side. The one at the backpack may have been what they had to communicate to airplanes, where they needed the longer yeah. range. Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, there was one other thing that okay. happened. I forgot. It's not in the notes here. Okay. He actually made a a walkie-talkie, a miniaturized one that went on the wrist. And the guy who did the Dick Tracy comic books came out. He was talking about radio. And he saw this this model. And that became the prototype for the Dick Tracy watch. This guy was 20 years ahead of his he time. He was. 20 he years was. too early. That's right. That's funny. Okay, t- uh, stay tuned. We're going to play the pop quiz in just a minute. Your chance to turn knowledge into free food here on Tech Talk Radio. 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2. On the web at stratford.edu. And you can watch us do the program. Download the Periscope app to your device. Follow us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell. The security guard at the front desk, featuring Mr. Big Voice, with musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band, and your host, Jim Russ. Thank you all for tuning in this holiday weekend. It's time for us to play the pop quiz. And in Profiles in IT, we just finished telling you the story of Alfred J. Gross, the founding father of wireless communications. His fascination with wireless devices started at age nine when his parents took him on a cruise on Lake Erie and the ship's radio operator let him listen in. Today's question, at age 12, he made one of these. Tell us what it is. Calling all ships at sea. Now's your chance to take that information and turn it into free lunch by playing the pop quiz. If you know the answer to the question, pick up your device. Contact us now. If you're dialing from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. 
If you're enjoying the holiday weekend in Playa del Church, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. Breaker 19, if you're listening to us in Canada, call us on the wildcard line and not your CB. 877-936-9333. Anyone else, anywhere else may call us on the international line. 877-9-3639-333. First caller with the correct answer wins tickets for two for fine dining at any of the Stratford Dining Rooms in the Washington area. Andrew Mitchell, our adjunct professor for prize distribution and crowd control, standing by to take your calls. So, dial now. So this was the year when drone fireworks actually began their showing. Usually we have traditional fireworks during the 4th of July, but there are many western states that have been plagued by fires, and they simply do not want to risk fires by shooting off fireworks. And so they've been using drones, drones with LED lights on them that are all remotely controlled to make all kinds of patterns in the sky. And actually it was done in quite a few of the cities. And, in fact, Travis Air Force Base in Colorado had a great drone show. And you could see that on YouTube video. It was really a lot of fun to watch that. You just, what you want to do, you can, I'll give, I'm going to give a link to it. But if you want to okay. look it up, just go to Travis Air Force Base Drone Fireworks Show, and you'll, it'll take you right to it. And it's quite nice. It's not a bad idea. I, I have seen some of these drone, at the at the Olympics, remember, they had at their, at the at the beginning oh, ceremony, right, yeah. they, they, IBM had all these drones doing all sorts of things in the sky, different patterns and everything at, at the the recent Olympics in uh, South Korea. So it's using the same technology, and it's actually a good idea. Then I guess you just have loudspeakers do booms to make it, you know, seem be, like to fireworks. make it seem like fireworks. Because if, if it's just silent, it doesn't seem like fireworks. But you know, they'd have to do that. Just think of how many fingers that that'll save. That's oh, that is definitely well. Hold it. Drones do have propellers. propellers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. There's a, there's, do, you, now, do you need more than one drone to do this? Hundreds. Hundreds. Literally hundreds. So it's not cheap. Because every drone is a different color. So as it as as the fireworks, you know, like they explode and you get that starburst. The starburst is made up of hundreds of drones flying away from each other with, with LEDs lit. So, yeah, it's not, you know, so you might have a thousand drones. And, and then the, you know, and, the, and then you got to worry about the, how long the batteries last. You know, they all come crashing down into the crowd. So, yeah, so you, uh, so, you know, so the show can't be more than, say, 20 minutes mm-hmm. because that's probably about all the drones can stay up on, their, on one battery charge. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio, heard every Saturday morning on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2, and 103.9 FM HD2, on the web at stratford.edu and federalnewsnetwork.com. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment.
In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. You know, cybersecurity is such a big deal. But usually, it's an inside job. That's one of the biggest problems. Really? Yeah. Interesting. It's one, one of the biggest problems. Revenge, or is it somebody that, that slips through the cracks and, and is basically an opportunist it's, when they're uh, hired? It's revenge many times. Ah, okay. There was an IT guy who was fired, and he went back and erased 23 of the company's servers that Ooh. were stored on the Amazon web. Ouch. In 2016, Vuva, a marketing and software company, um, fired an IT staffer, and it paid a big price. Th- that staffer only worked there... For four weeks, mm. it was 36-year-old Stefan Needhan, and they let him go due to poor performance. Now, but he was still able to access the company's system soon after being being terminated. I mean, they canceled his credentials, but he stole the credentials of a fellow employee so he could log on. So after gaining entry to Vuva's network, Needham erased the Amazon web server computers that hosted the company's main business applications and data. As a result, the company lost big contracts with transport companies worth over $700,000, and they were unable to recover the deleted data. Now, Needham was ultimately tracked down and arrested, and he was found guilty, and he's going to go to jail for two years. But here's the thing. He was using the credential of another employee. Had the other employee enabled two-factor authentication, it wouldn't have worked Mm. because – there would have been a message that comes to a cell phone giving him the second factor, and Needham would not have had it. So the the message from this and the lesson from this is when you've got critical web servers in a company, always set up two-factor authentication. And why, because this is such a well-known thing, do a lot of companies not do this? I don't know. And there's it's always these inside jobs because the IT guys can set up back they can do all kinds of stuff mm-hmm. and so you've really got to be careful. Well, they have the knowledge. The, they've got the knowledge. Hidden webcams in hotel rooms and in Airbnb rooms. This has become a problem. This has become a problem. Yeah, that's it, become it, a problem. That, that too. has become a, that has become a problem. Mm-hmm. I think we should use the sneaker net to get the information sneaker in here. Net. Yes. Okay. So yeah. anyway, uh, finish uh, finish your thought while we so, try to do this off So the people air. are trying to – are worried about webcams in hotel rooms. There was uh, – this last week, there was uh, – they discovered a network of 1,600 webcams that were in hotel rooms 
that were basically streamed to a pay-per-view site, and people could look at any one of these webcams, what was going on in these hotel rooms, and the people in the hotel room had no idea. Mm. And there have also been cases of Airbnb, uh, of webcams and Airbnbs that, you know, are looking at the wrong thing. And so now the question is, how can you detect a webcam in your room? That's the question. Because now people are saying, hey, I don't want a webcam in my hotel room or in in my bedroom at an Airbnb, so I want to detect it. Okay, so this is the steps you can go through to, to detect a webcam. First of all, you can just use common sense. If, like, there's a smoke detector right above the bed, there are motion sensors in odd places, clock radios, you know, plants, anything that sort of looks like it just was stuck there for no good reason, that's, that's, a, that's a, a, um, a good indication. Now, it turns out that a lot of these webcams... They will actually, if the lights are out, they've got infrared lights that that turn on and flood the room, but you can't see them because they're infrared. Mm -hmm. So what you can do, the first test you can do is that you can turn off all the lights, and it it turns out that that your smartphone will actually detect infrared. And so what you want to do is turn out all the lights, and you want to look around for infrared. Now, it turns out on the iPhone, the, the camera on the back side has an infrared filter, so it won't work. So you have to use the, the front-facing camera, and you just walk around using the front-facing camera, and you, can, and you can see if you can pick up infrared. Now, you can test your smartphone whether it picks up infrared. What you want to do is you get like an infrared remote control and see if you can see the, see the little infrared light in that infrared remote control. That's the, that's the first thing that you can do. Check for that infrared. Now, the second thing you, you can do is use is look for a reflection off of the optics. Have you ever seen, you know, you take a picture, you get that red eye effect where the, yes. where, where the eyes just reflect back. So it turns out that light goes into the lens, bounces off the retina, comes back out and is refocused, and it basically goes back to the same point where the light came from. So you, with the light still out, you can turn on the flashlight of your smartphone and you can go around and look for any any retro reflections that it might be around the room, and you and you'll be able to see um, see an optical system quite easily that way. Just walk around with the lights out, and look for any retro reflection coming back to you. And you want to put the phone very close to your to your eyes so that the ret- retro reflection comes right back to your eyes. And that's a very very good way to look for an optical system. Now you can also because a lot of these systems, especially in Airbnb, they'll they'll hook the webcam up to the, uh, the Wi-Fi network. So once you're logged onto the Wi-Fi network, you can do a scan of every of anything that's on the Wi-Fi network, and quite frequently the webcam webcams are you you, you can identify them because they'll just be named webcam. And uh, and a nice program to use is Thing F I N G F I N G, and you just you download that. Once you're logged on to the Wi-Fi network, it will scan the network and give you a list of all the IP addresses that are there and the name of the device, and so you can see if there's a a, a webcam, uh, you know, on the network. Now you can also it turns out that webcams also emit um, <clears throat> webcams and also microphones emit magnetic fields. They also have some electromagnetic interference. So there are several hidden camera apps that you can download, and they will use the magnetic sensors in the smartphone as well as the electromagnetic sensors in the smartphone. And you can walk around the room. Now these hidden camera apps are available from two ninety nine to four ninety. You got to pay for those. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I, I don't think it's worth it. I think this flashlight is probably the best way to go. And if you re- now, if you really are worried about something super sophisticated, they, the, the webcams don't 
connect to um, the Wi-Fi network. They actually have their own radio frequency, and they send it out to somebody else. There's a, there's a, there's a radio frequency receiver someplace else. This would be more like for, for high-tech spying. But you could buy an RF scanner. That's around $150. I'm thinking that's overkill because we're, we're talking about kind of amateurish stuff going right. on here. I wouldn't worry about that. But those are just a few of the things you can do to make certain that you don't have a webcam in your hotel room. There are new rules of communicating in the digital world. Mm-hmm. You know, connecting with people is a lot easier, but, but you have to follow the correct rule. Yes, you do. There's always otherwise, a big but. Otherwise, people will be upset with you. For instance, do not randomly FaceTime people. Oh, yeah. If you want to FaceTime, you must either send a text or call first. You could catch people in a variety of compromising right. situations. And they, and they just answer it and don't realize it's FaceTime, and there they are in the buff. <laughs> or in the can. Or on the can <laughs> or somewhere. Okay, the other thing is on when you text, never just answer with one word. Like, never say, okay, or LOL. Those are conversation killers. It you also don't, seems um, – I don't know. Keep going. I'm, I'm oh, losing. no. If you respond with one word, you're basically saying, I don't want to talk to you anymore. Passive aggressive. Yeah. It's, it's mm-hmm. just like shutting down the conversation. Exactly. So you've got to say more than that, not just one word. Very important. Now, if someone you know comments on your photo or video that you posted – you should respond to them and say thank you. You should just not yes, ignore it. I think that's common courtesy. Okay. If someone communicates with you in one form of communication, like by email or by you know WhatsApp or by Skype, you should respond to them in the same form. I agree. So like if they email you, do not you don't FaceTime them back. You email them back. And also, this is really bad. You know, if you post something on Facebook, don't like your own posts. That's really People hate that. That's just that is tacky. Yes, awful. Even tackier is do not ask people to like your stuff. Oh, that's awful. Do not and ask you know for it, likes. That, doesn't that automatically happen when you start a page on Facebook? Or do you have to actually enable that command? Yeah, you have to you have to enable yeah, the command. That's... And you don't you, but you don't want to ask for likes. And the other thing is if somebody sends something to you, respond right away. Don't take hours. To, like if somebody sends you a text message, answer it right back. Don't take hours and hours to respond because people don't like that. No, they don't. And also, when you call someone, you don't actually have to leave a voicemail because they'll see your number. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. And we want you to go to the Stratford University website. That'd be www.stratford.edu. Check out all of our programs in healthcare, culinary arts, hospitality, IT, software engineering, business. And tell them that you heard about those programs on Tech Talk Radio. That's it for this week. Tune in next week for more Tech Talk Radio. Heard every Saturday at 9 on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, and 1039 FM HD2. And on the web at federalnewsnetwork.com. Learn more about the programs at Stratford University by going to stratford.edu. Tech Talk Radio is a presentation of Stratford University and Dr. Richard Schertz.
Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.